Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hey there, I'm Robert Frazier, and he's Tim Galley, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, Wednesday edition, a part of the New Breed Training Network. We're here to help pastors and church planners reach the people no one is reaching by equipping leaders to do what no one else is doing. Welcome back. This is week two of the Wednesday podcast. Tim, you're wearing the same clothes. How is that? <laughs> I don't have any clothes. I'm a minimalist. <laughs> I'm, I, this, is, this, is, this is my uh, official church planter podcast uh, uniform. So, so this is me. This will be the same every week. So you don't have to expend all of your executive function deciding what clothes to wear. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Well, tell me, tell me a little about, are, are your kids, they don't have spring break till like two weeks from now, right? So you guys are just like in the slog of winter in Boston right now? Um, yeah, so March 28th here in Boston, um, it's 75 degrees, sunny, gorgeous. Um, it's just just it's just amazing, amazing time of life here. That that does not sound right. Like I've, <laughs> I'm going to have to check the weather. <laughs> no. uh, that's what it's telling me. No, well, if you check the app, it's, it's going to say it's 39 degrees and cold and rainy. And it's going to say that for like another month and a half. But don't don't believe that. Don't believe that. Come come to Boston. We have. We, well, that's, we don't have earthquakes. We don't have. That's big. No. That's big weather. No, talking it's cold to you, and rainy today. Trying to convince you that you shouldn't move to Boston. That's <laughs> it's all manipulation by the yeah. mainstream media to keep you out of Boston. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Don't don't check those weather apps. It's gorgeous here. <laughs> uh, no, it's um, it is cold and rainy. Um, every now and then, um, I, I get a little worried that that, that my wife, who was born and raised in Florida, is just going to be like, you know what? I'll, I'll see you in July. Um, like, but we'll stay she's married, gonna, but like, I'm just going to like, she's going to wake know, up, gonna go, look across the bed and be like, this isn't worth it. Yeah. It's, it's not the rapture. It's not the rapture that, that left. It's like Susan just like hanging out in Fort Myers. Oh man. I, I worry about that. It's like a, it's like a bad dream. Wait, did, um, did she grow up in Fort Myers? The home of Fenway South? No. Um, she, she <laughs> Fenway South. Uh, she grew up in a uh, born and raised in Bradenton, Florida. But, okay. but 
I'd, I think everyone would, would rather live in Fort Myers. I mean, it's pretty nice. There. I think if we're, if we're clear about it, yeah, it's a nice, nice yeah. place. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we're, we're having a new England winter this year. Boise tends to be more mild. Um, I think we're like the same. Is it, is latitude, right? Latitude, like across. Yeah. Um, Lays latitude. Yeah. It's like, it's like the same, but we, we don't get like this, the lake effect and the ocean, like hitting you with, with like moisture. So we don't get a lot of moisture, but this year we got like, it's like 30 inches of snow over the winter. And I'm kind of mad about it, to be honest. I'm just like, I want my spring and I want it now. Right. And I'm not taking right. no for an answer. There should be a rule like where like, like it should only snow from like January to February, as much snow as you want. Yeah. And then like, we all mm -hmm. like just like mentally prepare ourselves for it. But come March, you know, like if there's a snow, it's a, like a light snow. And, and but we're, we're moving towards spring. And if like, if there was a campaign I was running, I think I would, I would put that in like in part of the platform. <laughs> so would you vote for So that? you know, Brett, you know, Brett Ogburn, right? Uh, he used to be at the Wilmington campus. Yeah, I think so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, he was like one of our friends when we moved out there, we knew him from our relationship with crew. And, uh, when we got there, he's like, listen, I need to tell you something really important about living in Boston. And if you don't listen to me, you're going to be miserable and you're going to leave in a year. And I was like, okay. I'm like, yeah. I'm like dialed in. I'm listening. And you go, here's, here's the deal. You're, you're moving here in August. It's going to be a little hot, but it's going to be beautiful. You're just going to love it yes. from September 1st to December 15th. You're just going to be like, this is, this is wonderful. And then December's yeah. going to come and you're going to think it's winter. It's new England. Yeah. We'll, we'll do winter. It'll be a three month jaunt and, and it's going to be snowy yep. and rainy and, that, and then we'll it'll talk. be done. We can handle it. And, and then what's going to happen, he told me is there's going to be a day, maybe even a week in late March mm -hmm. and early April. And it's going to be the most beautiful days you've ever felt in your life. It's going to be sunny. Mm. It's going to be clear skies. You're going to, you're going to go to an, like an early season baseball game at Fenway and think that you've entered into heaven. And I have to so warn you. Because of heaven. Yeah. You, you literally cannot even pretend like that's reality. It has to be a dream state because you are going to get hit with second winter and it is going to last until the middle of June with rain and cold. And I think that saved me, man. Yeah. Like that's the only reason we made it so long in new England was I had like, he, he, he like prepared me mentally for the disappointment of April and May. And it, it was like, I needed that, you know? Yeah. It's like a climate ambush, you know, type yeah. of a thing. Like you think the coast is clear and then all of a sudden, like you were just, you know, second winter comes. Yeah. I still actually have the snowblower in my garage. I haven't, I haven't removed it. Um, and, and I won't, I won't until May, mm -hmm. uh, just, just in case, just in case I'm not, I'm not, I'm not paranoid. I'm not superstitious, but I am experienced. You're a little, you're a little stitious, not superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'll take so, that. I mean, when we were in, when we were in Boston, um, we had, we had a 12 inch snow on Halloween one year and we had a 12 yeah. inch snow, the middle of May one year. I mean, that's like, that is a massive season of possible snow. Yeah, that's, that's not right. That's not right. That, that's, that's why we have to like bring reform to like these weather patterns. Um, and we're going to, we're going to do it by legislation. Because uh, like, we're, we're obviously not doing it by like, you know, our environmental uh, initiatives and, and all these, you know, these, these uh, there's only, there's only two ways to go efforts. with weather. It's either legislation or religion, and no one's going with religion. Let's be honest. That's true. <laughs> That's true. 
Well, so last week we we touched on new new rules to the MLB, and I want to come back to that because I want to hear from you. I think that you're you are a Uber fan, and I'm just a, a fan fan, maybe super fan. Like you, you live baseball. Like you think about it way more than me. Remember when you invited me to that fantasy baseball league, and I was the worst manager that's ever existed for fantasy baseball. I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but now now that you have. <laughs> Um, th- that, that was one of the most costliest mistakes in our friendship. I, I, it's, it's amazing that our friendship survived this atrocity and how you disrespected this league. Yeah, no, I, oh, it, Robert, like I treated you guys like trash because I had no idea how much work it would be to try to keep up with pitchers and starting pitchers in fantasy. It was a nightmare. And I, I want an apology from you for inviting me into it, to be honest. At this point, like I I look back and I'm like. I think you invited yourself into it. I I don't even remember inviting you. You were like, hey, I'll play. I'm like, I I don't know, man. Leaving behind my my terrible fantasy management. What do you think about (laughs) pitch clock? What do you you think about the shift rules and Boston already subverting the shift rules? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in short, I, 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 it took me a little bit to get there. I, I wish we just had the spirit of the, uh, you know, of the pitch clock without actually having the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I've been kind of like going, going through some of the stuff and like listening to the podcasts and like, you know, some of these other videos, like they actually show like a comparison of like baseball, like, you know, 25, 30 years ago, where like, the pitcher and the batter were ready much faster and they were pitching like every 20 seconds anyway. Um, And I think I forgot that. Uh, And that is how, you know, for most of my life I was watching baseball up until like the last 10 years where like every single pitch, the guy left the batter's box and like, you know, would take off his gloves gloves and like restrap and all this stuff. Um, It had like his, you know, his whole ritual every single time. Um, And it was, some of that was built some of that was built on like even some sabermetrics kind of kind of tools because they they knew that if the pitcher was out there longer it was harder on them and that if they got out of rhythm the pitcher would struggle yeah. to get back into rhythm and so there's like a strategy piece to it that i understood but from a watchability standpoint it just it really took a toll i think yes yeah it really it really did i i can see in big key moments and, and this is where i hope they don't over legislate it like with the clock like the way yeah, that the nba like has the a shot inning. clock yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Which, which in spring training they have been. It's been it's been super super uh, legislated. Um, I think the shift. Um, actually, I think they should prevent the shift. It it really does take a, a toll on the game in itself in, in of itself. I think they need like what the Boston Red Sox did in bringing the left fielder out to stand behind like second base. You know, the left fielder should stay as a left fielder. Uh, and so like, I think that's going to be an easy correction on on their part because um, it really does make them look stupid. Like, well, we'll just take somebody else out of there. See, I I mean I. I really disagree with it because I think it's impossible to legislate where someone's going to be on the field. Like it, it feels like little league rules where you have to stay in like your area because like they don't want this. Like these are big leaguers. They can figure out how to hit it oppo if they want to have opportunities. And like, I don't know. Like I felt like that one just didn't make sense from a competitive standpoint. All it was saying was that like, 
lefties who pull and righties who push, like yeah, yeah, yeah. they they get an advantage rather than the guys who are able to spray the ball. Like that feels like you should get an advantage because you're able to hit in the gaps, you're able to create gaps through different hitting strategies. But I do think that like it's gotten harder to hit because pitchers have gotten better. They're right. like the, the way they disguise the ball coming across the plate. I mean, I I just think that it's gotten harder, and so you're going to have these shifts. I'm not sure that the sh- the shift feels artificial. I think is the piece that I don't like. It feels like this. Oh, I have like there's an invisible line, and we're going to start painting lines where the players could be on the field, and it's like I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel right. I appreciate you bringing the, the contrarian view. Um, yeah, I, I I get that. I, I think the sabermetrics whole piece of it is the team doesn't win when 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 your five six seven batter who's pulling who's successfully pulling the ball, you know, tries to spray it to the opposite field. Like your team doesn't win, so they're not going to ask him to, to to all of a sudden start spraying the ball. Uh, they're going to count on him hitting the, the three-run home run. And that's just part of the evolution of the game because pitching has gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, everybody says, like, why doesn't the guy just bunt to first base? Because um, they, they're really hoping that he hits it over the fence instead. So they'd rather have the risk of the out um, yeah. versus the guy, you know, being stuck at first because pitching is – you have to maximize every one of your opportunities and pitching is phenomenal. And then not only yeah. that, then you have, like, you know, like these – these incredible pitchers, like, you know, the first, you know, for the first ace gets tired after five innings. Um, they bring in another ace for one inning. <laughs> so yeah. you're always seeing like hundred miles an hour every time. It's, it's a hard game. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the pitching staffs have gotten, they've gotten better at playing short innings and getting in rhythm faster. They're warming up longer. And so when they're coming in, they're hot and then they're only pitching for 15, 20 pitches and they're out and they're doing it three days a week. That, that shifts a lot. Like I, I honestly think there maybe should be different ways that they think about the pitching rather than the hitting, because I think the hitting is always the hardest part and the pitchers should have to like come around different rules. I, I think it makes it more interesting when you have a tired pitcher who has to figure out a way to win. Those are exciting yeah. innings, but that's just me. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I dig. Well, I can't wait to see it how reminds this baseball of, season unfolds. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the NFL and like their, the number of guys you have to have on the line of scrimmage like that, that's always felt like such an artificial rule to me. Like as long as they're behind the line of scrimmage, why do you care where they are? They should be able to do what they want and the team should have to shift around what they're, what they're doing. It's always felt like there's like even the number of eligible receivers, if they're, if they want to throw to a lineman, they should be allowed to throw to a lineman. Like that's always felt like such an artificial rule mm. to me. Like saying, I we only have to cover X number of guys. It's like, well, you, you know what? You got to be ready for anything. But you know, I'm. That's the way I see things. So. Yeah, no, I I, I appreciate that. I, I always I always get mad when like they call the um the penalty on the lineman who like drifted like two yards too far, Ill, ineligible lineman downfield. Like, yeah. oh, this poor guy is like you know probably just trying to help his teammate. It's probably the yeah. furthest he's run you know from from the line of scrimmage all season, and like like you got to flag him for that. Like, come on. Yeah, why why shouldn't he be allowed to block five yards on the field? That feels absurd to me. Yeah. Yeah. If he yeah. can, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, so I can I mean, talk about this all day. I know. And, and the smack talk for those of you who are new around here, smack talk is just like, we hang out and talk for 10, 15 minutes ish. And 
at some point we have an awkward segue into like real content. So if you don't want all of this, feel free to like, we're not really offended. Um, and we'll probably move away from sports. We, we do have a lot of TV to talk about too. I've been thinking about Tim that I want to, I want to pick your brain on and we'll, we'll dive into that next time. But now's the time for the awkward segue. So you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Hey, Robert, you know, when you click on a a church website and you're so embarrassed to actually show it to people that you know, and and that main page is like a terrible photo. Yeah. You know, like, do you ever see a a website where like the people on, on the website don't even go to that church? Yeah. They go to my church because they left that church because of how bad their website was. That's that's what happened. <laughs> or have you ever made the mistake of clicking on the about me page and you're like, oh, that, this, this isn't telling me anything about the church. This was a waste of time. No, my, my current about me page has only three kids in the picture of me. So like, that's how old it is. It's missing 25% of my kids. A kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can fix that for you. You need a website that is super simple to update easy it's beautiful and it works uh with little cost to your wallet and to your sanity i want to tell you about church web builder and that's where you get that check it out church web builder save 40 percent on your first year for brand new church plans and 15 percent off for all church planter podcast listeners with a promo code church planter podcast hey that was that's great, it man. that's the commercial finish <laughs> strong at the end there yeah, nice, nice work. Hey, um, if 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 I may, if I may jump in here, um, yeah, man. Hey, previous previous episode, uh, you you were kind enough to to interview me, and uh, on on this one, I would like uh, to take the reins here and talk about you, ask you a few questions. Uh, I think some of these questions I know some of the answers to, and I think some of the other answers will just be outright lies. Uh, that you will give me and to our listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. And I will you have, try you have to, to guess like, the lie. You know, the listeners them. have to guess the lie today. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I, I, um, so here's where I think I want to begin this conversation. Um, I, I, I do want you to get into the part, like you just, your family of origin and, and so on, but I, I want to jump right into, um, where you abandoned me. Uh, and and I, I've, I've told you this part before. We we have this. We had this. Robert and I were on the same church staff for for a, for a set of years, and those were what I would call great great years. Robert and I have always gotten along really well, um, even when we disagree on a particular idea, um, and even if it's like like you know we really disagree. You know, we're always very. It was one of my favorite staff mates where I would, we were just able to kind of navigate through those things. And one night. Uh, you know, we, you know, we'd go to concerts, we'd go to events or whatever. And we had either seen like N.T. Wright speak or Radiohead play. Um, it was, it was one of those things. One of those two. <laughs> <laughs> one of those. Um, I think it was Arcade Fire, wasn't it, that we went to? Maybe yeah. Arcade Fire. It yeah. was either theology or music. Uh, and we're like walking <laughs> through Faneuil Hall. And for those of you who don't know Faneuil Hall, it's like one of like the oldest, um, you know, parts of all of Boston. It's like, you know, brick, brick walkways and, and all this stuff. I think, just, I think Paul Revere a got, night. got a Euro in that building. Like he, he had, <laughs> he ate at a food shop in that building. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, Paul Revere Starbucks was also um, right there as well. As I recall. <laughs> um, but Robert says to me, as we're walking through, he's like, man, these are good years. You know, we're, uh, we're, uh, 
raising our kids together. We're um, serving in the same church, and we're we're going to grow old together in ministry here. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. It was like this really great goodwill hunting I think, moment. I think you made that up. <laughs> no, that's not true. That absolutely happened. You were just feeling. And I would it. say, I would say that was that like kicked off the clock. Of like six months later, I'm like bringing boxes into your U-Haul and sending you off to Boise, Idaho. So here on this Church Planter podcast, how could you go? And I think this is actually relevant. How did you make the move from emotionally and like, you know, describe the story uh, of, of, of making this pivot from, you know, a, a wonderful church experience that you were clearly having to then feeling a call to, to church plant back in Boise, Idaho. Walk us through that. Oh man, that is, there's a lot of pieces of that. I think like part of it is like, I want to start at the beginning and go, I was born and raised a poor black child. <laughs> we're, we're not going to get all the way, all the way back there. Um, you know, it really comes down to, I, I was at Grace Chapel for six years. Um, I, I, I was a part of the launch team for the w- Wilmington campus when they planted. I moved literally the year that they were starting the Wilmington campus. And the people that we were doing student ministry with, with crew, they were a part of it. And it was in the same town as we were reaching teenagers. So it was like, okay, I'm going to dive in. Like, it does honestly, at that point in my life, I was like, honestly, it doesn't even matter what the church believes. <laughs> I just, mm. I'm going to go to whatever's closest to my house that I don't hate. Like that was like how low my bar had gotten. <laughs> and so we, we started at the Wilmington campus during seminary. Uh, I, I helped launch the student ministry there as a volunteer and as a missionary to teenagers in like North Boston. And they asked me to come on as a, uh, as an interim youth pastor there. And I told him, uh, no. <laughs> and then Tom asked again, and I was like, here's the deal. I'll do it for four months. And if you don't have anybody at the end, I'm going to quit and you're not going to have anybody. And so Tom was like, okay, we'll, we'll find somebody. And he found one of our best friends, Adam, to be that guy. And I'm, I'm so yeah. thankful that like God brought Adam into that role. Um, and then I, I finished my, my school at Gordon Conwell and we were honestly, we we're in the middle of like this long fertility journey, trying to have kids and, we, we had struggled for a, a few years at that point. And we're like, is this going to happen? And staying in Boston seemed like the only way to kind of move forward with that because it, they, they make your insurance pay for fertility treatments in Boston. Yeah. And we, that's something, there's a lot of complexity there, but we ended up, we stayed in Boston to pursue having a family. And that same week we decided to do that. I got a call from Richard Rhodes, who's the, the pastor of outreach and new campuses at, at Grace Chapel. And he goes, can I buy you a coffee? And I go, that's weird. Um, okay. I'd, I'd like met him once before and we sit down and he goes, Hey, we, I heard about you and I want to tell you the story and see if you might be interested in this thing. And there's this little old, it was a union interdenominational church in Watertown, Massachusetts that had given this building or were in the process of giving the building to Grace Chapel to become a, an outreach of Grace Chapel in Watertown. And Watertown is, for those of you who don't know the geography, there's like one of the neighborhoods of Boston is on the 
the south side of the Charles River, it's, it's Brighton. And then there's a town next to it called Newton. And then there's Cambridge on the north side of the Charles River. And next to Cambridge is Watertown. So it's in the inner city core, but just about, like right outside of the city limits of Boston. And he's telling me the story. And um, I, my dad was a pastor. My dad was a church planter. And so I was pretty sure my whole life that I didn't want to be a pastor and I didn't want to be a church planter. That was really clear to me because it seemed like a really crappy job and it seemed like people were horrible and church life was messy. And I was trying to kind of stay involved in ministry that I felt called to, but not be in a church. And I, I have, I've never applied for a job at a church like ever mm -hmm. in my life. Uh, and I've worked at four now. <laughs> um, but it, it's like, God, God has this way of, he told me this was what I was going to do and what I was going to be. And I ran away from it for 10 years. And so Richard Rhodes came and talked to me. And at the same time, I didn't have a job and I needed to stay in Boston. And I was like, I guess this is what I'm doing. God literally like laid it in my lap and I jumped in. And what I discovered in that process, um, of planting a campus for a large church was that number one, I do have like a lot of pastoral passion and care that I didn't know that I had. And I, I wanted to ignore that, but it was a part of who I am and it's a part of my calling. And I, I needed to see it come to life for me to own that piece of my identity and doing that helped. Like I needed that. And I also, what I loved about planting a campus was it allowed me to focus on evangelism and discipleship without spending all my time preparing, preaching and doing organizational nonsense. The best part about planting a campus right, is you get right. to focus on, on the people and you get to focus on reaching people. And I got to, I got to be really involved in the community and a part of all these like city, like committees and boards. And I, I got to hang out at the schools. Like there was just like a lot of opportunity for what I cared about the most, which was evangelism and discipleship. And what I realized in the midst of that was that God had uniquely gifted me as a starter, as an entrepreneur that I, I think I knew, but I needed to try it out in a, in a safe place that I could see it. And I got contacted by my sister's church out here in the Treasure Valley in, in Idaho, where I grew up. And if you don't know anything about Boise, it's like the most isolated metro area in the country. Uh, we're like a six hour drive from the nearest like city. And it's kind of like this little valley of about 800,000 people and a, a little town or a, a city 20 minutes away reached out to me in Boston and said, Hey, would you be interested in uh, applying for this executive pastor role? It was kind of like a number two, half teaching, half executive. And I'm like, no, that's a, that's a terrible role for me. But because my sister was there, I just agreed to take the phone call. And so we get on the phone and I'm talking to this guy. And at the end of the call, he goes, Hey, I, I mean, it was a 90 minute phone call. We just spent time talking about life and ministry. And at the end of the 90 minutes, he's like, I don't think this is a good fit for you. And I go, I don't think so either. And he goes, but I think you're built like a church planter. And if you want to plant churches, tell me and, and I'll help. And I was like, that took a weird turn there at the end. <laughs> you know, like it was, mm. it was just like normal, um, normal conversation about a job. And then like this veer off in the, Hey, you should consider this, this completely other thing. And I got off the phone. I go, 
I told my wife, Malia, I'm like, that was a weird conversation. And I told her what he said. And she goes, huh. And then about a month later, she goes, hey, honey, uh, I ju- we need to talk. And, uh, you know, you, you don't like hearing those words from your wife. Uh, so we yeah, sit down. I love, I love this part of the story. <laughs> she's like, listen, honey, um, there's been an Amazon box with a church planning book every day for the last three weeks. Do we need to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't know. I I'm confused. <laughs> I felt like I'd gotten like outed by my Amazon list. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Instead of like you know the, the the browser history type type of a thing, it's like, what are you reading? <laughs> how, how could you do this to our, our be, family? Be careful. Like yeah, yeah. Um, and that was so. That was a, a full year before we left. That was we just finished up our second full year at Watertown, and I. At that moment, I was like, I love where I am. I I loved Watertown. I still like I, I have a picture of our whole Watertown congregation like right here next to me. And I I pray for those people still because it was this precious, sweet time. And I I look back on it with tons of fondness and care. And and I it was like this funny, it was like a virus took over my body and my brain. And I couldn't stop thinking about church planting. And in the midst of that, we're also, we had had our first kid through a fertility process and we were like, we want to have more kids, but we don't even know if we can. We don't know if it's going to require this fertility treatment. And we were out in Boise um, for my brother's wedding. And Malia and I spent a whole day in prayer, just talking about church planting and the future. And we basically came to to this place at the end of the time of prayer. We're like, we, we are where we're supposed to be. And until God tells us clearly that we're free to leave Boston, we're going to stay there. And what happens is we get back to the house and Malia's like, I don't feel good. I, I think I'm late. And she takes a pregnancy test that day and is pregnant naturally for the first time in 11 years of marriage. And we're like, that's, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, that's yeah. strange for us. It doesn't feel like people, a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the timing was just too, just right on the nose. Yeah. And incredible. so, and that was August. And we, we came back to, to Boston. We were in ministry. And 12 weeks later, Malia is still pregnant. And we're having a baby in six months or five months at that point. And she goes, do we need to like start talking about this thing? And I was like, oh, man. I think so. I don't want to. It was it was real reluctance for both of us because we loved where we were. And that was that was the beginning. And I think I told you pretty quick and I told I actually went to my senior leaders uh at Grace and said, I think God is starting to stir this in me and I want to let you in on the process early because I don't want to blindside yeah. you. And I and that was like that was risky, right? Like if you're an existing oh, yeah, church absolutely. saying I, I think that there's this shift, they could have said, Hey, that's fine. You've got two weeks and drop your keys off at the office. You know, like that's sometimes what happens in churches. Um, right. So that that was that was the shift for us was like we were really happy and God had to dislodge us pretty clearly for us to step in. Yeah. And it to, to your credit, um, you're very forthcoming. You're very open. Um, you communicated. You know, Really, really great job on that part. It took me a while to get over it because um, I was I was losing an ally and a partner, yeah. you know, in ministry, um, and and I, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a northeasterner. Like I, I didn't know where Boise, 
Idaho was. Like it was as far as Narnia, as far as I was concerned. So I yes. just I just had no concept for these things. Um, but over the years, no one in the know, Northeast I, has any idea what's west of Highway ninety five. Like no, <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> we know about Highway ninety five. <laughs> um, you don't know where Ohio yeah. is. You could not find Ohio on a map. No way. <laughs> it's right next to Minnesota. Don't 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 say, don't try to embarrass me in front of all these listeners. <laughs> Minnesota, yeah, it's Arkansas, a, it's a Minnesota, thousand miles from Ohio. Minnesota. <laughs> um, I, I, for, I am now at a point where I am thrilled that that my brother is serving the kingdom out in Boise, Idaho. It was incredible to go visit you the other year and and seeing you in action and, and visiting and seeing your family, this beautiful family of yours. So. Uh, I'm super happy for you, and I and I love I do love stories about calling, um, and about how like how the Lord just moves us from one place to another. Uh, I'm not even just talking about locale, but like like literally postures of heart, where the Lord changes our heart and we let Him. Um, can I just back up a bit though on that? So yeah, you grew up in kind of a ministry family. Uh, you want to share a little bit about your your upbringing and and your family of origin with us because you have a wonderful family. I've had the privilege of getting to know many of your members of your family for over the course of the past few years here. Yeah, my uh, my dad went to Grace Chapel for a while when they were living out in Boston. So you got you got to know the wonderful, great craziness of my father. So <laughs> I like that. Um, so yeah, my dad, my dad and mom, they both came to faith in uh, late in high school, early college through the ministry of it was actually an American Baptist church here in Boise and um, God transformed their lives pretty radically. They didn't come from like Jesus following family. So they, they started from zero and immediately started having kids and there's seven of us in, in, uh, in my family. So I'm, I'm one of seven kids. I'm the fourth of seven kids. And my dad went, he felt this sense of calling. And so he went to Denver seminary and was, um, was pretty, what he found was that the people he liked were the church planters. Those were the people that he really were, were gravitating towards because they were, you know, they, they think differently than guys who are like, Hey, I want to find a church and study 30 hours a week. It's just a different mm-hmm. kind of personality is drawn towards it. And so he started to pray and, um, felt God calling him back to Boise where he had, he had grown up at least in uh, middle school and high school in Boise. And he was pretty devastated by that because he didn't like Boise and he didn't like what it was and wanted to, wanted to get away from it. But God brought him back. He planted a little conservative Baptist church, um, here in Boise. And it, it never grew above like 110 people over 25 Mm -hmm. years of faithful ministry. He, he poured into those people and loved them and he, he was very focused on formation and uh, maybe, maybe to a fault was just like, he was, he taught deeply. And I think he spent like four years on Romans once, you know, like that was the kind of the church, the kind of church culture it was. And it was the eighties and nineties where wow. Bible knowledge was the center of church, right? Like it was knowing the Bible and studying the Bible, not doing it. It was much more like studying it. Um, and then, when I was in high school, I was 17. It was that season was coming to an end. And there was another church that was a part of our denomination that was also thinking a transition and they ended up merging my senior year of high school. 
And that was really beautiful, but also like created some of the deepest pain that I've ever felt in, in church life. It about seven years later, um, went tits up. I don't know if we can say that, but it, <laughs> the thing went, <laughs> we'll, we just we'll, did. <laughs> we'll bleep it out. <laughs> As I was saying, I'm like, I don't know if I should say that. Um, that's the kind of podcast we are, but it, it went, it went bad. It was a merger that went bad because 10 things went wrong all at once. There was spiritual warfare. There was family stuff. There was leadership stuff. There was ambition stuff. And my dad had stepped out of ministry and he was, he was running a remodeling company at the time. And another guy took over and it just became a mess. And so we ended up getting pushed out. Like my friends and my family all just ended up not not being able to stay because of a power struggle that happened there. And we, yeah. we didn't want to fight. We didn't want to dive into this, you know, scorched earth sort of fight. So we just kind of stepped out and it took me, took me two and a half years to find a place that I wanted to be. So I had like a ton of church pain, but what had got had done in the midst of that during college, I came to faith when I was 19 and decided to start letting Jesus run my life. And at the same time, got involved with Campus Crusade, reaching my friends, whether that's that's a story for another day, but God just got a hold of my heart for evangelism. And then after I finished college, I worked in insurance and financial services, investments for a number of years. And as I was finishing up that, I got called into ministry with crew doing high school ministry and middle school ministry. And I ended up doing that for about a decade um, in Oregon, here in Idaho, and then in Massachusetts. So that's that's a bit of my my background. No, well done. Uh, yeah, th thanks for for uh, giving us a bit of that that part of the context. Um, as as we think about in the time that we have left here, um, calling and just our wiring, and I think this is relevant for a church planter podcast. Um, I. I feel amongst amongst your gifts is that you are an entrepreneur. You have five different ideas that you're actually going with all at the same time. That's um, not advisable, by the way. If you're that way, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I want to talk about that. Um, knowing you now for like you know a decade and change, like 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 why do you do all these things simultaneously? Why do you think you're wired this way? What are you learning from it? Um, and, as, and aside from like the general advice that you just gave of like, yeah, don't do that if, you know, if you can get out of it, um, <laughs> you have been doing it and there's probably something good about it. What are you learning from that process? Well, I, I think we'll talk a lot about like bivocational ministry throughout this process. Cause I think that that's a lot of where the church is heading. A lot of the majority of pastors in the world are bivocational. A majority of pastors in the United States are bivocational. So I think these are important questions we have to leave. And I got to say my first job out of seminary was a cush job at a mega church. Like I made more in that mm -hmm. job than I had ever made previously and probably will ever make again <laughs> in ministry. And so like stepping into church planting was going from this, you know, 50 hours a week in one thing. And as I was planting, I realized if I put 50 hours a week into church planting, I'm going to kill the people around me because it's going to mm. require, I'm going to bring too much energy and too many ideas to it. And so if I do that, my people will burn out because they'll be trying to keep up with me 
in this work. And I knew I had to slow down the pace a little bit. And so that was a part of why I did the bivocational route was, was that piece. And it also was like, I moved to Boise and planting a church is if people will differ on this, and this has to do with like the approach that you bring to church planting, but it was one of the easiest seasons of my life. The year before we planted was one of like, it was very difficult spiritually and emotionally and a lot of work to do. And that's why God made it so easy on the work side, but it was not, it was not hard in terms of time and energy wise. It's one of the easiest things I've ever done. Um, and so what happened was I had all this space and I was like, what else has God built me for? What else am I passionate about and how else can I take my time and turn it into money and connection? Like those are kind of the ways that I think about things is if it pays the bills and connects me with people who are far from Jesus or need Jesus, like that's how I want to live my life. And what God brought to me was I, I actually really enjoy like communications, marketing, writing, content. And so that was an easy yes. When people needed things, I could just say, I could do that for you. And so I started a little marketing and design firm. At the same time, uh, we were planting Redemption Hill here in Boise and God made it clear that uh, the city needed much more than a church plant. It needed a movement of multiplication of disciple makers and church plants. And that was the beginning of what we call city network. And we, we partner with new thing on a lot of things, but it's this vision to see church planting happen in our city. And what, what, when we started thinking about planting 200 churches, it changed how we planted one church. And that was really good for us. We needed that piece. And so I've been helping lead this network of church planting the last six years. Um, and at the same time, God was also giving me this passion that in my city, good news looks a lot like a house to live in because we are so bereft of, of places to live that are affordable and that work for families and for individuals. And I realized that that was a key justice issue in our city. And God started mm-hmm. to burden me this kind of passion to see housing as a, as an expression of the gospel through hospitality that was not just opening my house for food, but opening my house for people to live in, which we've done since we've moved here. I think we've had five or six people live with us. Um, and then beyond that, like there's systemic issues to housing that God just gave me passion and vision for that I've been working in. And so like, those are the three things I'm going to do mission and business, and I'm going to do housing. And there's all these things that kind of fit underneath those things, but I love it. I, I just am passionate about those things. And actually I'm, I'm stepping into a sabbatical this summer and my hope is to kind of rebuild my life from the ground up. So I don't have six things I'm committed to. I have two or three that are kind of the main things. That's the hope. So ask me about it this fall and I'll let you know where I'm at. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, love, love, love what you're up to. Love, love what you've been about all these years. Um, and just, I'm going to make fun of you for the rest of the podcast, but just, just one, one more serious moment here. Um, you did this last really, time really too. Great things and... with you. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> all right. So what every, every episode, I'm going to like say something awful about you and then say something nice about you. So, so my conscience can be at peace. Yeah. Uh, but God is doing really great things through, through you and have, has been for, for quite some time. So I'm so grateful for you. Um, yeah. This was great. We got a chance to interview each other. Uh, yep. So we got a little bit of that out of the way of like, you know, a lot of our contacts and, you know, what, where we've been and, you know, and so on. Um, could you give our listeners uh, a heads up on what is coming up in coming weeks? Yes. So next week actually is going to be Dave Ferguson. 
I have an interview with him that I want to share with you all that was great. He's the um, apostolic leader of the New Thing Network that has planted thousands of churches across the world, and he leads the exponential movement, and he's a pastor at uh, Community Christian there in Chicago, and just a, an amazing guy. So I'm excited to have him be on, and then we're working on what's up next. There's We're probably going to dive into some training. Tim and I will sit down and dive into a few. I think we're going to start from the beginning of like, how do you how do you understand your calling? And then we're going to move through the church planning journey over the next year. And we're just going to kind of hit some major milestones and we'll do some double clicks, dive in deep on stuff. So that's the plan. That's excellent. I can't wait. Look, very much looking forward to it. Um, thanks for uh, allowing me to join you on this ride. Yep. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Make sure to like and subscribe and even review the podcast. It helps us get in front of uh, people who are looking for what we're doing. This is the Church Planner Podcast. And remember, if you want to reach who no one else is reaching, you've got to go where no one else is going and do what no one else is willing to do. Step out there and be Jesus' people. See you later, friends. Take care. Bye-bye.